Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, let's pray right now and ask the Lord to help us. And I'm going to pray that God would help us think about Psalm 103 that we're going to read through in just a moment. Father, I thank you for your kindness to us as a church. Lord, you have been extravagantly graceful, gracious, and generous to us. You have done in these past seven years beautiful, beautiful, gospel-exalting things. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be very wise and clear and humble and courageous as a church to follow your command to make much of Jesus, to call sinners to trust in him. Inasmuch as potentially purchasing this property might help, then Lord, I pray that you would bless us. If you have some other thing in mind, God, do that for your glory. Lord, we, we don't pretend to know. We know that the Proverbs say that the mind of a man or a church plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so we, we have trust, even as we have sung this morning in your great sovereignty. And Father, I pray now as we turn our attention to your word, to this beautiful song that David wrote centuries ago, that it would tune our heart into the glory of the good news of Jesus. It would cause us to sing the gospel to ourselves and to one another and to all the world And as we see these young ladies be baptized this morning, I pray, God, that it would stir our affections for Jesus. And and Lord, if there are people in this room, and I am certain that there are with a crowd this size, if there are people in this room who have not yet trusted in you, they haven't fallen in love with you and they're trusting in other things, they're trusting in themselves and they're spiritually dead still in their sin, God, would you be so kind as to give them a new heart so that they can breathe the first breath of repentance and faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, would you do these things and would we exalt together in your, in your kindness in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, Here's what I think we'll do. Uh, We're going to just read through Psalm 103. It is one of the most beautiful psalms in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, called it a little Bible in itself. And so I'm going to read through this psalm, and then we're going to work back through and uh, just make a few comments. And really the the, the sermon this morning, in a sense, is, is, is the baptism and the testimony of these ladies. Uh, But I want you to see three things. I'm just going to give you my outline up front because I want you to be looking for these three things as we read them in this psalm, these 22 verses. Uh, The first in this psalm, I think the first little section, verses 1 through 6, David is speaking, really singing the gospel to himself. He's talking to himself. Secondly, in kind of the middle part, uh, verses 6 through 19, David is speaking or singing the gospel to his people, to his community. And then finally, the last few verses, verses 20 through 22, David is speaking or singing the gospel to all creatures everywhere. Okay, so that's kind of a little bit of a breakdown. I'm not so many points today as far as application. We're just going to glory in this psalm. Let me, let me read it, and then we'll work our way back through it. These are beautiful words. King David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord three things that I see here. The first few verses is that David is preaching or singing the gospel to himself. He tells himself there in, in verse 2, he says, forget not all his benefits. Forget not my soul to himself. Forget not what God has done for you. Isn't it easy to forget? You know, just, I mean, we are, that's why, by the way, every time we get together, we rehearse the gospel. We sing the gospel we want to preach the gospel, we want to teach the gospel, and we see all of life flowing out of the good news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so we don't think that the Christian life is sort of made up of this piece of information by which you begin it, a sort of confession or prayer that you make in Jesus, and then you sort of go on your merry way towards self-improvement. We think that the beginning of life is the gospel, the middle of life is the gospel, and the end of life is the gospel. Everything flows from what God has done in Christ on the cross to redeem sinners to himself. And it's easy to forget those things, isn't it? And it's easy, it's easy to just sort of be a Christian one moment and then just kind of wander off into sort of doubt and uh, you know, cynicism or just kind of get on a sort of ho-hum, just kind of plucking away at life. This is what 
Charles Spurgeon says, and friends, you know my last sermon before I go on sabbatical, you knew that we had to work in a, sermon, a Spurgeon quote in there somewhere. You knew it was coming. You were just wondering where it was going to be. Well, I'm going to get it out of the way so you don't have to wonder. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this verse when he preached on Psalms uh, 150 years ago or so in his church in London. He says about our memory and our need to be reminded. He says, memory is, a very, tr- is very treacherous about the best things. By a strange perversity engendered by the fall, it treasures up the refuse of the past and permits priceless treasures to lie neglected. It is tenacious of grievances and holds benefits all too loosely. It needs spurring to its duty, though that duty ought to be its delight. Well, I find that to be my experience, you know? I mean, if you, if you, if you say a, a crossword to me or you... You know, I, I find out that maybe in some way you sinned against me or something bad happened. Boy, but don't we just remember that, you know? We just kind of hold on to that little thing like that weird little creature on Lord of the Rings going after the ring, you know? <laughs> I mean, we just kind of, ooh, you know, you just, man, you offended me or that bad thing happened. And boy, we can remember vivid details of that. But day after day, we just walk in God's kindness and it just seems to sort of roll off us like water off of a duck's back. And Spurgeon reminds us that it is so important to be reminded of these things. And these things that, that David mentions are a spectacular list. He says that we are forgiven all our iniquity, that God heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us as a covenant-keeping God with steadfast love and mercy, and he satisfies us with good things. Now, friends, I think it's really important for us to realize here we need to read the Bible correctly because I think, if, I think many times people just sort of read. They just sort of parachute down in a verse and they read something like that, and, and, and they don't realize that the Bible is one huge storyline. It's not just Psalm 103 or not just isolated verses, but it's one big storyline. And that storyline of the gospel is is that all of these promises aren't just sort of floating out there for anyone to just grab when they have a bad day and to read Psalm 103 and say, oh, oh, God, God forgives me for all my iniquity and he redeems my life and he crowns me and he satisfies me. Friends, these things in the context of the whole Bible only apply to God's covenant people. In the Old Testament, they apply to the nation of Israel, and we realize that the whole Old Testament is really just pointing towards the fulfillment of God's kindness in Jesus. And so now we're living in this time after Jesus, after God has come in the flesh to live a perfect life, to lay down his life on the cross as a wrath-absorbing sacrifice for human rebellion and sin and iniquity, and to redeem us by his work on the cross, and then rise again in victory over sin and death and all of its consequences. And now commands all people everywhere, men and women, boys and girls, people from every tribe and tongue and nation, people from every region to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. And in that covenant, and only in that covenant, do these words and this truth apply. And and so, friends, we, we need to realize, we need to read the Bible correctly that when God says, I will forgive all your iniquity, that's not just like a fortune cookie sort of thing that floats out there for you to, for you to kind of grab onto or for us to grab onto and say, oh, oh well, God is kind of this benevolent grandpa and I can basically do what I want. But when I come to my senses, if I just kind of read that verse and I have 
good vibrations as the Beach Boys would have sung back in the 60s and 70s. Everything will work out for me because God's basically kind and gracious and I'm basically good. Friends, that is not the storyline of the Bible and it's certainly not the gospel. This verse, what makes this verse so costly and so beautiful and worthy of of our soul blessing God with everything that is within us is that forgiveness has come at the very high, the highest price of Christ himself. And forgiveness comes only for those who trust in Christ and what he has done, friends. Do you realize that, friends? I think we have to say this every time we get up in a pulpit in the church in America and certainly in the Bible Belt where there's a church on every street corner and people are saved, they think they're saved, by their region. I mean, I think your average American in the South probably thinks they're saved because they're on the mailing list of a church and they watch Fox News. <laughs> oh, come on now. I know I'm, I know I'm, I know I'm making you uncomfortable here, but, but listen, we're not saved by conservatism. We're not saved by morality. We're not saved by, by being kind of better than the next guy. Our sins are forgiven because we are trusting in what Christ has done on the cross, turning away from ourselves, trusting in Jesus. And we have the benefit of the full revelation of God. David, in his song that he writes, is pointing towards that forgiveness. We have the ability to look back at that forgiveness and know that Christ has done it all for us. And when that happens, friends, like David as the precursor pointing to the cross, we now can look back on it and that should do something. It's like it should bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, man. I mean, come on, all, like, what does that mean? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it works out differently for you. You know, I know, re, I realize we have extroverts and introverts and everybody does things differently. But, but let me just say that I think that blessing the Lord, and, and in context here, this song is written for a congregation of God's people to sing together, not to listen to on the radio. But to sing together, I think that blessing the Lord with all that is within me is a sort of total engagement of my body, soul, and mind where I am just grabbing, hold on, fastening my heart to the gospel, realizing that God didn't save me from a bad day, but he saved me from the pit of separation from him forever. And when you gather together with God's people, friends, I'm advocating here for the beauty and the importance of corporate worship. When we gather together and we all fasten ourselves, whatever that looks like, whether that means you're a hand raiser or a mover, you know, maybe you're going back and forth, or a clapper or a guy that shouts out. And I think when we as a congregation rehearse and remember the gospel, it means that when we gather together, certainly blessing the Lord means all aspects of our lives, even outside of when we gather together. There's something beautiful about fastening your heart to the gospel and singing it. If, if, young man, husband, if you're not a singer, you should be a singer. We're meant to sing. And here's the beautiful thing about congregational work. Even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket like me, when it's joined with the cat next to you that can't carry a tune in a bucket either, a bunch of people, when they sing and they can't sing, when all of their voices join together, it actually sounds good. Why do you think that is? Because God designed it that way. And so there's something about singing together. And there's also something about laying down your preferences of music. There's a certain humility that comes when we are we're just willing to just sort of belt it out and sing. Um, and we sing the gospel. And we preach the gospel to ourselves as we sing. 
That is so important. Listen to these words from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a British pastor uh, back in the mid-1900s. And uh, he, he wrote this book, wrote many books. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And uh, listen to these words where he's talking about Psalm 42 where it says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Okay, so he's going to talk about how we need to speak to ourselves. All right? And it's going to sound like a little bit. It's going to sound like almost kind of a little self-help thing that I'm always railing against. But listen to the turn he takes here. Listen to this. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about the need to remind ourselves of the gospel. He says, have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment that you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them. But they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Man, I identify with that. When I was in college and I didn't get much sleep and I went to you know, school that was running you ragged all the time, I can remember really being really frustrated spiritually because I'd wake up in the morning and my first thought was I'd scan the day and say, is there any possibility that sometime during this day I might get a nap? <laughs> I was like, God, Lord, that's not a good way to start my day. I just woke up and I'm wanting a nap. But even now, like I, that's a source of sort of spiritual struggle for me. I'll wake up in the morning, and my bent is towards uh, negativity. Uh, you know, I'm kind of angry, just sort of latently, and I just I have to fight against that. I don't even know why. Like, what's, what's going on in me? And I have to fight against this. And Martin Lloyd's quote has been very helpful to me. He says, somebody is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this, and he's speaking about Psalm 42, where the psalmist writes, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. So the psalmist, is, he's, he's talking about this psalmist who's doing this very thing that he's encouraging us to do. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self? Listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? I love that British word. Come on, I've never talked to myself like that. What business have you, Brad, to be disquieted? I'm going to use that on myself and maybe you sometime as well. You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God. So you see, he's not saying get up in the morning and do like that Saturday Night Live skit back in the 90s where that guy would like the self-affirmation thing, I like me and I'm okay. No, no, that's not what Lloyd-Jones, this isn't self-improvement. This isn't the self-esteem section at Barnes & Noble. No, he takes a right turn for the gospel here. He says, he says, you must turn on yourself and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then, having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil, and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. 
Friends, David is preaching, singing, speaking the gospel to himself, and, and we need to do that as well daily. The second thing that I see David do here is that he speaks the gospel to his people very, very quickly. He reminds them that they're, and this is so important. Let me, let me read verse 10 again of Psalm 103. Verses 6 through 19, he sort of breaks into this recounting of God's saving work, how he made it known to Moses. He's speaking about rescuing his people from Egypt and the Red Sea by no merit of their own, but simply because of his grace. And then he says in verse 10, listen to this. He says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So remember, remember, the gospel only applies to those that are trusting in Jesus and not in themselves. So again, this is not a sort of universal promise that God's going to kind of be kind to everybody sort of at the end. This applies only to those who trust in Jesus. And then he says something here in verse 10. He says, God doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And so what David is reminding himself and his people is that their, listen here, this is so important, their relationship with God is based on his covenant with them, which we now know is in Christ. It's based on his covenant, not on karma. And I think that's the way, in fact, that's the way I live a lot of the time. You know, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, how we, you know, I know I'm in Christ. I'm certain that I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm certain that I am his son. But sometimes I'll have a bad week or I'll have an argument with somebody or I'll get mad at my wife or more, more likely my wife is mad at me. And, 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 then, and then I feel like I kind of have to make it up to sort of cause the spiritual meter to get back into the good level, you know, to get out of the red and the yellow and back into the green. And so I, I feel like I got to kind of do a bunch of compensating things to get back to a place where God then will be pleased with me and can use me. And it usually revolves around me having to get up every week and preach. And I think one of God's kindnesses, I would be a terrible Christian if I wasn't a preacher. Because the preaching before you every Sunday, it's like God's, it's like his sort of, Brad, you repent, repent, because you got to get up next Sunday, you know? It's kind of God's kindness to me. I know that was a terrible endorsement for Christianity there, because you're saying, Brad, can't be a good Christian if you don't preach. No, I'm saying, I think you guys are a lot stronger than I am. And in God's kindness, he sort of uses this to, to cause me to turn and trust. But here's the deal. So subtly, our relationship with God can kind of be based on karma. And we can think that, and I think a lot of people think this, is that maybe God, some circumstance in their life right now, is sort of God's punishment for the way they used to be back when. Friends, do you realize how faulty that logic is? You mean, you, you, so you're a Christian, you've trusted in Jesus, and now you're walking through some trial or difficulty or circumstance. And then to think that the thing, the reason that you're going through this is because God is sort of punishing you. Friends, do you realize how, how we forget the gospel when we think that way? Christ has absorbed all of God's wrath on the cross for his people. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and if God were to act that way, friends, who of us could stand? Like, who of us could actually like, become a Christian and then God kind of also just sort of peppers us with BBs, like shoots at us from a distance, like pop! You know, I know you're in Jesus, but pop! Remember that time back in high school? Pop! I mean, who, who could do that? But don't we live that way? And you see what we do when we live that way, when we think God is taking pot shots at us with circumstances, 
to sort of continue our punishment. What we're saying is that what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient. We're saying that he kind of died for the big things, but there's still a little bit more guilt that I need to go through. And what is that, friends? That is making much of ourselves. And we're minimizing Christ's work on the cross. So, so right now, I mean, I know you go through this. I go through this. When that thought comes that maybe God is punishing me, friends, then what you need to do is take the barrel of the gospel of Psalm 103 and, and point it right directly at that thing and say, no, 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 no. He does not repay me according to my sins. If he did, I would be a pile of ashes long ago. But what he has done is he has poured out his wrath on Christ who's completely satisfied all of his anger towards me, all of his justice towards me, and he has turned that wrath into favor in which now his people walk. Now, friends, we do have consequences, we do have circumstances, and we still live in a broken world. But everything that we are going through after we trust in Christ is merely God's kindness to wean us from this world and woo us to himself. And when you can reorient yourself and we can live life through that filter as David is right now, friends, your reaction to a broken world and your still struggling soul will be revolutionized because now you can bless God who is on your side rather than hide from God who you think is still mad at you. Friends, do you see the difference there? And from that place, David can say to himself and to his people, oh, bless the Lord, all that is within me, because God is pleased with me in Christ. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And finally, David speaks the gospel to all creatures. In verses 21 and 20, 20 and 21 and 22, he sort of moves from talking to himself in the first five verses, reminding himself gospel-centered self-talk to preaching to his people to proclaiming it to heavenly hosts bless the Lord O you his angels you who you mighty ones who do his word obeying the voice of his word bless the Lord all his hosts his ministers who do his will bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion bless the Lord Oh, my soul. And friends, is this not what we do in baptism that we'll see here in just a moment? It is where we, these four sisters, will be humbling themselves, saying that Christ has died for me, that I am trusting in him, and therefore I know that my sins are forgiven. My life is redeemed from the pit. He satisfies me with good. I've rejected broken counterfeit pleasures. I'm living life in this community. Friends, that's why baptism is so important to do in the community of believers in the local church. That's why baptism is an ordinance of the church because together we rehearse the gospel to each other when somebody is water baptized in the church. And then as we're water baptized, each of these sisters and us along with them are proclaiming to an onlooking world, proclaiming to, to principalities and powers, angels and all of the heavenly hosts that God is good. God saves. Turn and trust in Jesus. God saves. And friends, this should produce something in us. It should produce worship. It should produce mission. It should produce confidence. It should produce joy. 
as these four young ladies come, let's revel in this together with them. If you're a Christian and you are basing your relationship with God, like sometimes I do, on karma and not on the covenant that he's made in Christ, oh, preach the gospel to yourself this morning. Preach the gospel. Realize that it was satisfied on the cross. And let that free you up to see your circumstances not as lingering punishment, but as a sort of anvil that God is using to chisel your life more into the image of Christ. If you are not a Christian in here this morning, oh, friend, I, I just plead with you to look to Jesus. Look away from yourself. You know, when I read that Martin Lloyd-Jones quote about it, he said, kind of doubt yourself. I venture to say that if you're in this room today, you're at least open to the possibility that there's a God. And if you're here just kind of wrestling with doubts and wrestling whether or not Jesus is the only way, wrestling whether or not you can be forgiven, friends, are you going to let your doubt sort of be, I mean, really? I mean, I'm, I'm going to grant that maybe you're of at least above average intelligence, but are you going to say that you're the guy or you're the gal that's really figured out your doubt is the one sort of thing that God can't handle? Like of all the billions of people that ever lived, you right now in 2012, your, sort of your resistance to the gospel, like, it's like God's up there saying, gosh, I hadn't thought of that objection. Mm, you know, you're right. I should have worked out the gospel a little bit more clearly. I mean, come on, I mean, I'm not making fun of you because I, I've been there, but really, but I mean, I just want you to think about the value judgment you're making. You're sort of, you're making your intellect sort of the most powerful universe in the world. Friends, that's a dangerous place to be. So, so don't think that you need complete and perfect understanding. Turn away from yourself. Don't muster up intelligence. Trust, faith. And here's the really radically amazing, generous thing about the gospel. When God moves on the heart of a man or a woman to save them, he gives them the thing that he requires them. He gives them faith. He gives them repentance. And so if you're feeling that stirring in you right now, God is very likely giving you the very gift right now of faith and repentance so that you can turn away from yourself and turn and trust in Jesus. Do that right now. Do it right now. Don't wait for me to coach you in a prayer. Don't wait to fill out a sheet because we don't have one for you to fill out. Look to Jesus right now. And, and I'm not busting on churches that do those things. Those can be very helpful. What I'm saying is don't put your hope in a prayer or a statement. Put your hope in Christ. And look to him even now, friends. Even now. Doubt your doubt. And hope in God. And hope in what God has done in Christ. To forgive even you. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to watch these sisters be baptized, Lord, stir our hearts with joy in the gospel. Let us sing the song with David, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, let us remind ourselves daily of that because we need it. We need it. And God, would you be so kind as to even now give life to give dead heart a beat, to give a dead heart a pulse so that it would be made alive and trust in Jesus. How would you do these things for your glory and your joy as we celebrate your grace in the life of these young ladies? In Jesus' name, amen. Well,